Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. All right, welcome to the program. Have to come right out and apologize, Katie. I know I'm pulling you away from the TV. Your Nationals are playing right now. I did not know, my man, you were such a baseball fan. You're a diehard. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I baseball was my first love as a sport uh, to play as well as to watch. I was always a big baseball fan before I ever even got into following football. Um, and then when the strike happened and the steroids and it all coincided with me going away to school, so I kind of lost track of baseball for a while. I was kind of disappointed in it and then just having a life, you know, uh, dating girls and things like that kind of distracted sure. you from Absolutely. the mind that is baseball, you know, those, those sorts of things. So I gotten away from it until the Nationals uh, moved from Montreal to D.C. And then I picked up my love for them again once we had a local team in the, in the D.C. area. So I'm, I'm diehard. And it's actually – in my 10 years of covering football, the fandom kind of leaves from you. I'm still Dallas Cowboys till I die. That's clear and obvious. Anybody that follows me or, or reads the writing that my affiliation with them is far beyond just covering them. But the fandom aspect of uh, football, it kind of leaves when you cover a team because everything that happens, like in the middle of a game, I have to turn around and write an article about it. There's a big play an article needs to be written or I need to edit an article about it. And everything has to be done from per, per the perspective of, even though you're a fan, you still want to be as objective as possible in what you're watching. So it kind of mutes your reactions with baseball. I don't have any of that. I get to just be a diehard nationals fan. I get to talk trash about everybody <laughs> that I don't like all their, all their rivals, especially the Braves. So that has really over the last several years, probably since about 20, 16 or so because I started writing football in 2010 so around 2015 2016 about five years into my career baseball pretty much took over as being my favorite sport so yeah I, I get to be a full-fledged fan with no worries about having to write an article after I'm done watching a game or any of that analysis that needs to go with it uh you know and diving deep into it I just get to enjoy baseball so you know that, that that's that's really my passion right now yeah no I'll, I'll see your tweets on uh I'll see your tweets in all caps and I'll be like what's happening with the Cowboys, but no, you're just talking crap about the Nationals. So that's all that is. So it's like... <laughs> exactly, yeah. I'm very um, very enthusiastic, I should say, <laughs> when it comes to covering the uh, Watchmen apps. 100%. So last week we discussed uh, draft shakeups thanks to the 49ers, Dolphins, and Eagles. Now the Jets and Panthers are front and center after the Panthers, who pick at number eight, one of those teams sitting right ahead of the Cowboys in each round, traded for Sam Darnold. And first off... Darnold toasted Jason Garrett's Cowboys early in the 2019 season. I see that's still stuck in your craw, Katie. So, uh, you know, what, what's your take on Sam Darnold? Yeah, you look over this dude's career, and the, the Cowboys played the Jets early in the 2019 season. And, if, you know, for fans that want to remember, the Cowboys started off 3-0 and that season, and then they ended up losing a close game to the Saints, and they ended up losing a uh, shootout to the uh, Packers. And then the real symbol that something was wrong with the Cowboys 2019 season was when they played New York and the, uh, the Jets raced out to a big lead. And the play that everybody remembers was when uh, Sam Darnold connected with Robbie Anderson on a 92-yard touchdown. Chidobe Awuzie got absolutely torched on the play. He fell down in coverage and was found chasing him the rest of the way down the field. And it was really one of Darnold's best games that he's played. I think it was his second 
highest career passing total. Uh, I think he had like 341 yards a year before against Green Bay. Uh, but since that point, he really hasn't reached those heights again. The next game after he played us, he had 86 yards passing against the Patriots. He only passed 300 yards or more one more time in the next two years of his career. Most of his games were under 275 passing yards. So he never once again relived that euphoria of being able to do what he did against the Cowboys. And the main takeaway from that is this was one of the games that everybody was just like, okay, it's finally, I finally see what Katie has been complaining about all this time about Rob Marinelli. <laughs> Cause I've been a big advocate of moving on from Marinelli probably since he came to Dallas. I have something against the Dallas defensive coordinators. Yep. And then lo and behold, they replaced him with Mike, with Mike Nolan. And it was 10 times worse. And I just couldn't believe that after that debacle of seeing Sam Darnold, this guy who the Jets have given up on after, you know, his three years after his four years or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah three years, three seasons in New York, they've given up on him. That guy torched the Cowboys defense. And then from that point forward, the defense only got worse. And that's just so mind boggling to try to wrap your head around that the defense could actually be worse, 10 times worse than what they looked like in that performance. But here we are on to coordinator number three in three years. What I do, I don't know if this is a pointless exercise or not, but I've been going through the draft after all these changes and trying to figure out, well, who are my quarterback picking teams and who are my wild cards that could go either way? And I think the yep. the teams that are picking quarterback are uh, kind of obvious at this point. We know the top three are they're definitely going quarterback. Uh, there's a couple other right. in there now that that we could look at. I mean, there's some wild cards are probably the Falcons have become a real wild card at number four, right? I mean, I know they're shopping that pick as Adam Schefter tweeted. The Lions at number seven, kind of a wild card. The Broncos at number nine. These are all teams ahead of Dallas that could go QB, could go positional. So. With Carolina now, I would think that they're not going to pick a quarterback now. I would think it would make sense that they would go positional player, but you never freaking know. But it seems like they're not going QB because why would you trade for Sam Darnold otherwise and give up picks? What does this mean for the Cowboys? How does this change things for the Cowboys, KD? And maybe specifically, what does it do to our dreams of landing Kyle Pitts at number 10? Does it hurt those dreams at all? You know, I hesitate to withdraw Carolina's name from the quarterback derby. I think that it makes it more likely than not they go a different direction, but I still think it's plausible that if their guy is there at eight, because remember, we assume that it's going to be Lawrence and Wilson one, two to the Jaguars and the jets. And everybody talks about San Francisco possibly trading up for Mac Jones being number three. Uh, that might be smoke. They might really intend to make Mac Jones that guy. But if that's the case, that leaves two very intriguing guys in trade Lance and uh, Justin Fields still on the market, still available to those teams that are following. If, let's say Carolina figured at the beginning of this process that Justin Fields was going to be gone. They didn't want to take the risk of being left out of the Justin Fields sweepstakes if that's their guy. Because remember, probably two months ago, Justin Fields was going to go number two. You know, most people thought that he was the second best quarterback in the draft behind Trevor Lawrence. Now you're talking about him being the fifth overall. So let's say that Carolina really thought Justin Fields was going to be the guy. And they said, well, he's probably not going to get to us. Let's go ahead and make this Sam Darnold trade just to make sure that we're not left with having to play Teddy Bridgewater next year. We'll try him out for two years. But then Fields ends up dropping down to number eight. Nobody has taken him since then. Carolina could easily draft him if that was their guy and then say he needs a couple years of development. We have Sam Darnold for two years. We can bring him along slowly. We have an insurance policy, whatever the case may be. We can turn around and flip Sam Darnold if Fields becomes that guy sooner rather than later. All of those things are on the table for them. So I don't think they're removed from it, even though it's less likely. But yes, you have those teams. You have four teams ahead of Dallas that could pick 
any of the two quarterbacks uh, that would be remaining after the first three go off the board. In addition to teams like New England at 15, Chicago at 20, maybe even Washington at 19, teams that could say, our guy is there, we're going to move into the top 10 to try to select him to get ahead of these other teams. Because there are basically landmines elsewhere. Philadelphia, they traded away from a bona fide quarterback. So you think they're probably saying to themselves, we're definitely going to roll with uh, Jalen Hurts. But yeah, the teams in front of the Cowboys, they can go either way, all of those teams. Uh, The only team that you really eliminate, probably uh, Cincinnati. They're not going to go quarterback after taking Joe Burrow last year. Uh, But yeah, Denver could be a team. They could go cornerback. They could go in a multitude of directions. Uh, You said Detroit, they made the trade for Jared Goff. They have to still be considered a possibility because they're in the same boat as Sam Darnold. Maybe that's just a placeholder quarterback. So, yeah, it, it's still going to be wild and woolly when it comes to the picks before the Cowboys are on the clock. Oh, my God. If, like, Justin Fields is sliding it out of Detroit, I'm taking Fields over freaking Goff. God. You, you never a million know. times. Yeah, 100%. Like, what the hell could happen? So, there is one player in this draft that could end up going number 10 to the Cowboys, and it's got the fan base completely freaked out. We'll talk about that coming up next. So the player there right before the break I was talking about, Katie, of course, is Micah Parsons, the inside linebacker from Penn State. Very versatile guy. I'm sure people who love that player will scoff at calling him an inside coverage linebacker because I know he's versatile. He can rush the passer. He can do all that thing. But let's be honest, he's an inside linebacker. And yep. these guys go top 10 every year. We see this all the time. It's, it's, it would not be unprecedented for Micah Parsons to go top 10. But it got me thinking about positional value, right? I mean linebacker on the inside it kind of reminds you of running back in that a lot of times there's a ton of value at that position later in the first round and into day two I feel like it's just a gamble you're really gambling like a couple years ago Tampa Bay used a top five pick on Devin White and that is a gamble and you know what they got it right they nailed it he's an awesome player so they nailed that thing but if you screw that up you, you got a guy that might be off to injured and just really isn't all that important to your team and you screwed up a really high draft pick. And I know this Micah Parsons guy is uh, is super talented and he's high on a lot of people's boards. I know you're not high on the Cowboys selecting him at number 10. I think there's a reason why we keep seeing Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn or maybe an offensive lineman like Rashawn Slater continually mocked to the Cowboys. It's because those positions make a little bit more sense in the top 10 than the inside linebacker position too. So what do you think about positional value and why are Cowboys fans so freaked out right now and scared about Micah Parsons and the, uh, the idea of him being drafted by the Cowboys? Okay, multi-layered question. <laughs> yes, that's, that, was a lot. that was a lot. I agree with positional value, but let me preface that with saying, I don't care, take the tight end if it's Kyle Pitts. Because <laughs> yes. tight end is certainly one of those positions that you would put in the conversation that you don't need to take that high. But I think Kyle Pitts is worth that pick. So that's always going to be the caveat to this discussion. If Kyle Pitts is available, I want the Cowboys to take Kyle Pitts. I don't care who else is there. If Kyle Pitts is there, take Pitts. 100%. Now, with that said, I also believe in running backs don't matter. I'm not the card-carrying member that most people think. I think Ezekiel Elliott is special. And he, based on his longevity and his ability to avoid injury through his career at Ohio State and with the Cowboys, and his ability to be at the top of his game throughout makes him different than the other running backs. And I know that last year was not a good year for Elliott, and a lot of people that have been talking about running backs don't matter kind of hang their hat on his 2020 performance. 
But that was a bad performance for the team all around. And I think he was trying to do too much. I believe he will have a big bounce back year in 2021. But in general, I agree with the idea that running backs don't matter to the point that you don't need to draft one high unless that guy has proven to be a workhorse, a special guy that can withstand the wear and tear on his body. More to my belief is that linebackers don't matter. I am a firm believer. I am probably the card carrying member of the linebackers don't matter committee because they are, as you referenced, they are available later in the rounds. Um, most of the guys that end up being stars in the league are not the higher uh, end draft picks. And then to that point, it's so rotational and it's such a position in flux. It just doesn't make sense. When you add on to that, the Cowboys dedication to the position over the years, I think that, um, you know, if you, there's two ways to look at linebackers. You can look at them as part of the front seven or the back seven. Back seven linebackers are more important than front seven. And by that, I mean coverage linebackers, one that are actually out there able to cover backs, tight ends, do things in coverage that allow you to play the passing game because the passing game is king. The run-stuffing linebackers, I don't care about those guys anymore. I don't want to see them ever drafted. The question is, where does Michael Parsons fall into that? Because we haven't seen him in a year. He sat out. He was very new to the position. And his biggest strength is really his pass rushing ability. So is he going to be capable of being that coverage guy? We know he's athletic beyond all belief, but we haven't seen him on the field play that coverage position to a strong point of being drafted where he's being considered based on his athleticism and the other things that he brings to the table. A pass rushing linebacker is not the same as an edge player. You're not going to put him on the, uh, on the outside and rush him consistently in order to get that production. It's nice that they can blitz and those sorts of things. Those are all great uh, stars, asterisks that you want to put next to a player's ability, but that's not the core amount of what he's bringing to the table. That's like saying that Jordan Lewis deserves to be paid among the best cornerbacks because he's the best blitzing cornerback that the Cowboys have seen in a long time. Those two things don't equate to me. Just because he was second in the league or second on the Cowboys in tackles for loss behind Tang Lawrence does not mean that we need to be rushing Jordan Lewis on every play. It just doesn't make sense to me to make that correlation. These are perks that go along with what your core requirements are. And I don't know whether or not Parsons can do that for the Cowboys, if he can ascend to being that coverage linebacker to do those things to a great effect once he gets to the, with the Cowboys. But what I do know is that the Cowboys spent the 2018 first-round pick on a linebacker. They paid big money to Jalen Smith as a linebacker, and they haven't shown any proclivity to wanting to get out of that deal anytime soon. So with all that said, I don't see the reason why you would want to draft Michael Parsons when you've already proven yourself that you're committed to the position and that you've made these investments just play those things out, and if you miss on a Micah Parsons by not drafting him and he goes someplace else and he's great, you still have so many other opportunities to get a player like him somewhere else down the line, later in the draft, in future drafts, whatever the case may be, when the playing time really truly opens up and you're willing to walk away from Van Der Esch and, uh, and uh, Jalen Smith. Now, I will backtrack on that a little bit because I firmly believe that a team should draft early to replace later. And along those lines, that makes sense. But I just don't see Parsons being that guy based on what we can see on tape. And I'm not a tape study. I'm just going off of reports of people that I trust that actually grind the film that they don't see 
these coverage abilities are showing themselves on Parsons tape. And that gives me pause for drafting the linebacker that high when you're drafting on potential for a guy that hasn't played in over a year. Well, first of all, Katie, you do a great job with my multi-layered questions because that was uh, tremendous. (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, I think 100% with your with your take on Pitts, like he's a unicorn. And if Micah Parsons was a unicorn, then this would be a different discussion entirely, right? Like if he was like a top five pick, if if that's where people were talking about him, then fine. But he's all over the board when you look at the experts and the mock drafts. He's everywhere, Micah Parsons. But what's interesting is this happens literally. A team does this every year. They'll take a inside linebacker in the top 10 like I talked about Devin White well Devin Bush went in the top 10 that year too to the Steelers at number 10 and uh, last year the Cardinals picked Isaiah Simmons in the top 10 and you can go back even further to Roquan Smith with the Bears so a team does this every year we just don't want it to be the Cowboys that's our summary here we just we just don't want it to be Dallas at number 10 this year right pretty much it's gonna happen someone's gonna take Parsons we just don't want it to be Dallas that's where we are I hope it's Denver he he's a he's a perfect fit for a team that plays a primary 3-4 scheme. I think that makes sense. But like a 4-3 team, it it just doesn't make sense for me. Yep, no, 100%. So I also want to get to uh, like kind of a free agency wrap. Uh, Katie, you went in and went through and graded every single move the Cowboys have made. And that that must have taken a while. There's a lot of moves that they made. They've actually made more moves in free agency this year than they, they ever have. They've been active to an extent. They're not spending any money, but they've been active. So they've been keeping you busy with the grading. But at the end of the day, you go with a C plus, right? And here's what you wrote. You said they failed to take any risks, which is somewhat imperative when trying to bounce back. And you're basically talking about running it back and let, you know, let's try to start over and have Dak healthy and try to go for it again this year. And instead are putting all of their eggs in the 2020 mulligan basket. And I kind of like that, right? So this is what it is. They're they're trying to make really, we talked about this last week, just the low key, low cost moves, try to run it back and take another run at it. But you also wrote like how dangerous of a gamble that is because you're staying kind of status quo while the rest of the league has been working uh, to improve themselves in free agency, signing all these different, like, I know the Giants have definitely improved their team and you could, there's a lot of teams that have improved during this stretch. So uh, a C plus for the Cowboys. To me, it's, uh, I, and I think I wrote this in an article, the, there's a common saying the uh, sum is greater than the, the parts or whatever, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts or whatever that phrase is, this is the opposite. The whole is less than the sum of the parts because when you look at each of these moves individually, I think I, I rarely gave a grade that was a C, you know, a, a anywhere close to a C. Most of the grades were A's or B's. I, yeah, I thought it was going to be in the B or something. I was surprised to see C+. Plus. I was, but go on. Yeah, because like when you look at the individual moves, how much the moves, uh, the players that got cost, um, you know, signing into short-term deals, all of those sorts of things. Those were all brilliant moves in and of themselves. But when you look at the overall picture, they didn't make the moves that they had to make. They didn't go out in there and get the safety that you know is going to make a difference, that you, that you expect to be healthy and be 100%. They have way too many question marks in the deals that they made. Now, yes, they signed question mark guys to question mark contracts. And that in that uh, model, in that mode of thinking, those were the correct decisions to make but they didn't make the move that makes them significantly better without any risk associated with it. And when I say without any risk, every free agent contract is going to be a risk, but specifically speaking about the Z an Achilles injury in October. So we're assuming that he's going to be capable of being a free safety. No, you need to pair that with what they're going to do in the draft. They still have to go out there and get a free safety. Keanu Neal came back from his ACL and Achilles injuries last year to play a full well, 15 of 16 games. 
but he wasn't good in coverage. So you're hoping that if he, uh, you know, that he has a one year back uh, year, and that was a reason why he didn't look very good in coverage last year, and he bounces back this year. But we don't know that right away. Outside of that, they really didn't make any big moves in order to improve the roster at pretty much any of the positions. They just filled in plugs. They brought back Jordan Lewis, but they haven't signed an outside cornerback to help uh, amend for the loss of Shadobi Awuzie. So these these are just things that I think Dallas could have done better in their overall approach, but they haven't done that. So there's no way that I could give them anything better than a C because we haven't gotten those things where we say, yes, they definitely significantly improved on this position, that position, whatever the case may be with the things that they did in free agency. We're still going to be sitting here waiting for the draft in order for them to make uh, wholesale improvements to any of the positions on the roster. There's KD Drummond always bringing the knowledge. We'll be back next week. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.